What's up, everyone? Welcome back to The Planet Today with Matt Norton. Today is Friday, June 11th, 2021. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here once again with our producer, Nick Janusa. Nick, how are you doing today? Maddie, I am ready to go, baby. I am firing in on all cylinders, and I'm ready to get this thing going. I love that energy from you, man. Any big plans this weekend? Yeah, I'm trying to hit the beach, hopefully on Saturday. Um, I think my sister's coming down, so it's going to be sweet. Awesome. I'm actually uh, heading off to Pennsylvania for a wedding, so it sounds like a big weekend for both of us. Okay. I hope the humidity doesn't get you in that suit. I yeah, wish you best would, of luck. That, that would be not fun. Just sweaty <laughs> back the whole day. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, that's par for the course whenever you're wearing a suit, though. <laughs> <laughs> if you're new here, welcome to the planet today. Here on TPT, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy, all in an easily digestible weekly podcast for you to listen to on your own time. This show will be your one-stop shop for all things environmental, whether you're just diving into a green lifestyle or you're ready for some more involved conversations about what can be some complex topics. TPT will have something for everyone, so we're happy to have you as a listener. Today on TPT, we're going to be joined by a great friend of mine, CJ Bonafati. CJ is going to join me later on for our feature discussion today, and he'll also be one of our recurring guests to join the show every few weeks. All right, so before we start, I just want to wish everyone a happy World Oceans Day. And if you need a refresher on why we need to protect our oceans, just go ahead and watch uh, My Octopus Teacher on Netflix because it is legitimately mind-blowing. It is riveting, and it's also super interesting. So yeah, check that out. Happy World Oceans Day, Nick. Do you have a favorite marine animal? A favorite marine animal? Ah. Oh. I don't know. I was always a lover of the killer whale, but I actually just recently watched Blackfish and was completely in awe of what was going on in SeaWorld. And yeah, I, mean, I think it probably drew me closer to them, but um, yeah, just really screwed up stuff. We, that's a topic for another day, though. Yeah, we'll say that for a documentary review. And uh, Nick, get ready to bleep this out. F- SeaWorld, all my homies hate SeaWorld. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> are you taking any personal steps to protect the oceans? Yeah, I've been trying to get better. Okay, so everyone who knows me knows that I'm a notorious, or at least used to be, a notorious water bottle user. And it got to the point where I literally would just keep water bottles like in the back of my car. I don't know why, but like I would just literally throw it, like right after I was finished with one, I would just throw it behind my chair. <laughs> And just like, just forget about it, like out of sight, out of mind. So now I've been trying to get into like the more, um, just like using one bottle and then also using no, uh, whatever, plastic straws. Got to use the paper straw, even though I don't love it. You got to use it. And also the coconut straws. Those are sweet. So yeah, those are the two things. Nice. Yeah. It's uh, those are, those are actually two that I definitely try to do as well. Um, yeah, I just, I do my best to eliminate single use plastics in general. So I actually have two reusable water bottles and never leave the house without at least one of them. Um, we own some reusable straws and then we have metal and silicone. Um, and we even have reusable bags to replace the Ziploc bags. So we're kind of just slowly replacing all those single uses with stuff we can reuse. You're living large. It sounds like you're living large. <laughs> that is uh, one way to look at it. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the uh, into the show with our quick hits. So uh, the first one comes from uh, CNN Business, and it's from David Goldman and Matt Egan, and they reported that a third climate activist is expected to be elected to Exxon's board. Yeah, so some people may have heard last week that two of Exxon's board seats went to the climate activist hedge fund known as Engine Number no. 1. This is a really big deal for a company that has a ridiculously dark history of pretending that climate change isn't real. Exxon has spent millions of dollars over the past four decades to promote misinformation and skepticism around climate science, despite the issue being brought to their attention as early as 1977. 1977. That is 44 years ago. For reference, climate change did not become public knowledge until 1988. And Exxon denies this, but when NASA scientist James Hansen told a congressional hearing that the planet was warming in 1988, Exxon continued to tell the public that the science was still controversial. And I would say that their campaign was successful as we are still trying to convince certain people that climate change is happening today. So to go from that 
to a third engine number one nominee beating one of Exxon's preferred board members is a huge first step for a company that literally has blood on its hands from this climate crisis. Three directors out of the 12 seats on the board are now held by climate activists. And while there's still a long way to go, and this is far from a victory, it shows that even the oil companies will soon have to transition to clean energy if they want to stay in business. Engine number one is quoted as saying, we are grateful for shareholders' careful consideration of our nominees and are excited that these three individuals will be working with the full board to help better position ExxonMobil for the long-term benefits of all of its shareholders. Whether the company is motivated by long-term financial benefits or environmental benefits, both of those roads merge at Renewable Energy. Yeah, and when you sent me this uh, article, they had like a link to another one. And um, it was this guy, Jeffrey Supran, who's a uh, Harvard research associate. And he was quoted saying, Exxon's patterns mimic the tobacco industry's documented strategy of shifting responsibility away from corporations, which knowingly sold a deadly product while denying its harms. I thought that was like a crazy parallel. Yeah, that's a really good comparison. And they're kind of creating enough doubt around the issue to give people a reason to wonder if it's true. And I guess wondering if something is true is the first step to buying into conspiracy theories. Yeah, maybe that's your first peek into the rabbit hole. So last week we mentioned that we would be discussing the breaking news out of Sri Lanka that the MV Express Pearl had begun sinking. The Associated Press reported that a data recorder has uh, now been recovered as the ship sunk. Yeah, so to put things bluntly, this whole situation is bad. Um, It began about two (laughs) weeks ago as the ship caught fire And it ended up staying on fire for 12 days as authorities tried to put the fire out, which they eventually did last Tuesday. On Wednesday, the ship started sinking and we caught word of it Thursday morning. As Nick mentioned, the AP reported that the Voyage Data Recorder, or VDR, has been recovered. This is commonly called the black box and is pretty much the log that keeps track of everything that happens while the ship is out to sea. I can't confirm this, but uh, hopefully our friend Kieran, who works on ships all the time, can confirm it might be the captain's log. <laughs> we're we're going to, we'll phone him in next week. Yeah, if he has uh, any sort of cell reception. <laughs> <laughs> he, he doesn't. He's texting from his email. Yeah. Anyway, authorities say that the VDR contains information that might give law enforcement agencies investigating the fire some of the answers they're looking for. Nick said this last week, but the ship's cargo included 25 tons of chemicals, including nitric acid. The wreck has already caused several tons of plastic pellets to wash ashore nearby and could prove to be a disaster for marine life and marine ecosystems nearby. I just want to point out that those plastic pellets that are washing ashore, those are what's used to create plastic bags. So whether or not they are plastic bags, it's the same problem just by having those pellets. Now, Sri Lanka has already banned fishing along about 50 miles of its coasts while we wait to find out just how bad the spill is for marine life. Yeah, this is a horrible story. And uh, I think the worst part is that it feels like there's nothing you can really do to prevent something like it happening. Yes and no. I mean, one thing they tried to do was to tow the ship out to deeper waters. And the thought there is as you get deeper, the depth of the water would dilute the chemicals. And those efforts ultimately failed because the boat's stern, which, uh, again, phoning Kieran, that's the back of the boat. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so the back of the boat was submerged. So it ended up just resting where it had started sinking. And I guess diluting the chemicals would be better than nothing, but that's not going to fix the chemical spill. It'd just make it, I guess, marginally better than what we're looking at now. Right. Yeah, that's super unfortunate. Yeah, definitely a tough situation all around. Well, we'll keep up with it. But let's get into the next quick hit of the week. Uh, And this one is from Jonathan Watts of The Guardian. And he reported that wealthy nations breaking climate pledge with gas dash in global south. Yeah, this one surprised me. So to make a long story short, wealthy nations funded low and middle income nations at a rate of nearly $16 billion per year between 2017 and 2019. That way they could fund projects related to gas. This was nearly four times more than those countries were receiving for wind and solar projects, which kind of raises concerns that developing nations are being locked into that old fossil fuel economy that we are starting to slowly advance out of. The United States, Japan, and China provided 48% of the public funding for gas in developing nations, which was being used to expand markets in Asia and Africa. 
Now, this would increase profits for petroleum industries in the wealthy nations, but it's also going to provide an avenue for those markets in Asia and Africa to continue growing and continue expanding their own use of, in this case, gas, but more broadly, fossil fuels. So looking at a situation like this equitably would say something like, hey, developing nation, don't make the same mistakes that we did. Cleaner and cheaper energy sources are now available. We'll help you fund those so that the environment as a whole can prosper while you continue to develop. Instead, the approach being taken is, hey, you're going to need oil and we're going to switch to renewables. Oh yeah, and we're going to help fund it to make more money in the long run while you continue to use fossil fuels. Okay, that's pretty screwed up. So what do these approaches actually mean? That's a good question, and I'm sure you are not the only person listening right now who is asking that. So that first approach that I mentioned, it's often referred to as leapfrogging, and the example that's usually given is in certain regions, they don't have house phones, but they do have cell phones, and the idea is kind of better technology is available, so why would we go through creating that first step when we could just jump straight to the next one? The second approach is just sort of the way we do things most of the time. So in this case, I am really hoping that a lot of developing nations can leapfrog and not rely on natural gas as much, which was always meant to be a transitional fuel to get us away from coal and get us to solar and wind. And maybe they can just go from mostly coal to mostly solar and wind. So they don't have to suffer through like having an NV2 and having it break like every other day. (laughs) Yeah, but they also would skip the NV3, which was the <laughs> longest lasting cell phone I've ever had. Those things were literally indestructible. Um, okay, so let's go ahead and get into the next one. So this one is from Mahesh Preet Kaur Narula of CNN. And she reported that a bubble barrier is trapping plastic waste before it can get into the sea. Super interesting. Yeah, this one's honestly so cool. And I first came across a graphic showing how it worked on the CNN Climate Instagram page. And it's basically an air compressor that sends air through a tube and creates this huge stream of bubbles. And the idea is that the stream of bubbles will trap waste and kind of guide it into a catchment system. That way it's easier to clean up. And it sounds kind of silly as an idea, you know, sending a bubble beam and that's going to redirect all the garbage in the sea, but it's trapped 86% of the trash that would normally flow to the river Isil and then continue into the North Sea. So some more technical stuff. The compressor is located 50 meters away from the barrier in a repurposed shipping container. Here on the show, we love repurposing and we love recycling. So that's a huge plus. Great job, guys. Heads up play. Yeah. And another awesome part about the bubble barrier is that it's powered by Amsterdam's renewable energy. I found out about this on Tuesday of this week, and now I don't want to live in a world without the bubble barrier. (laughs) It was first installed in October of 2019, and it only took a little under five hours to install. So I really do think that this is something that can be implemented more often in more places. Yeah, let's get like 100,000 of these things. Let's call up, um, I think his name was Philip. Let's call Phil and just just start wheeling him out. Yeah, he was the guy who created it from what I understand from the article. And people were basically describing it as a jacuzzi system. So if you can picture the jacuzzi jets and how they fire out bubbles, except way bigger and instead of making your legs feel good, it makes the rivers feel good. Yeah, I thought it was so cool, too, that the fish could, like, pass through it, no problem. Like, any, any yeah. of the wildlife is just free-falling. Go right through it. Yeah. If you're an environmental engineer out there listening to this show, uh, get on this, because I want them all over. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so last one, and a big one, is from Reuters... And the title of the article is Developer Officially Cancels Keystone XL Pipeline, Project Blocked by Biden. Yeah, so uh, the Keystone Pipeline is finally hashtag canceled. It was first proposed in 2008 with the goal of bringing oil from Alberta, Canada to Nebraska in the United States. So you're looking at a 1,179 mile pipeline. For our metric listeners, that's quite a few meters. Per Jeff Brady on NPR's Up First on Thursday morning, 
This isn't oil that is drilled in the way that many people think of, and it requires mining that results in basically these huge canyons that get left behind in Alberta's tar sands. And when they're mining for it, it leaves a really heavy tar smell in the air. So in 2015, President Obama announced that his administration would reject the construction permit for the Keystone XL pipeline. Unfortunately, the next administration overturned that decision. On his first day in office, President Biden revoked a key permit needed for a portion of the pipeline that would go through the United States. But this whole project had been highly contested by environmentalists from day one. Opponents of the pipeline had always worried about how this would affect the U.S. transition to renewable energy, potential oil seepage impacting water supplies nearby, and how much of the pipeline was proposed to go through important land to Native American tribes as well as American homeowners. To be fair, the pipeline probably would have lowered gas prices once completed because we would have more gas available. But to me, that seems a little short-sighted as most car companies are beginning to phase out gas vehicles in favor of electric vehicles right now. So if you care about groundwater quality, protection of lands, transitioning to cleaner energy, etc., then this is really awesome news. Yeah, this is fantastic news, and it's another loss for big oil, but yet another huge win for the soon-to-be sponsor of this podcast, the Nissan Leaf. And that's a callback to episode one that I adore. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I think that does it for the quick hits of this week. Uh, Maddie, do you want to take a break? Yeah, that's a great idea. And when we get back, I will be joined by CJ to talk about cryptocurrency, NFTs, and their relationship with the environment. If you're listening to that last sentence and you have no idea what those are, don't worry. It sounds a little techie, but CJ does an awesome job explaining everything to people who might not be as in the loop about this sort of stuff. I will tell you what, Nixter, I have been sneezing up a storm these past few weeks. Maddie, I think this has been the longest allergy season of my adult life, and I am frankly beside myself. I've had enough. If you're suffering the way that Nick and I have been suffering in the past few weeks and months, then the presenting sponsor of TPT for this episode is the sponsor for you. Today's episode is brought to you by Vala Alta. Vala Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance, daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. They're ideal for functional use in all settings. From the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.com and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot com and code TPT. This deal will not last forever, guys. Go get them. Yeah, and they uh, just restocked some new colors from what I understand on their Instagram page. So uh, get them while they're here. Yeah, go check them out. Valaalta.com. It is June and we still have allergies. Go get it. As we mentioned at the start of the show, we are joined today by CJ Bonafati, and today we're going to be talking about something many of you have probably heard about, but might not know that much about, cryptocurrency and NFTs. Some of you may be hearing this and thinking, what are cryptocurrencies and NFTs? Others may be thinking, what do those have to do with a podcast about the environment? Well, it turns out quite a lot. And before we go any further, let's help the listeners get to know CJ. Hey everyone, uh, my name is CJ, and as far as environmental stuff goes, I'm a lot like all of you. Uh, I'm not very educated on these things, uh, but I'm a concerned millennial, uh, someone who really cares about taking care of our planet, making sure we're leaving it in a good place for our children and their children. So, uh, when my good friend Matt here told me he was starting a podcast about the environment, I was uh, completely about it. Uh, wanted to get involved as soon as I can. So I'm lending my skills here as uh, kind of a nerd, just a, just a big nerd who uh, loves talking. 
Uh, and today we're going to be talking about some really interesting topics. Uh, and I really can't wait to do that with my buddy, Matt. Yeah. So CJ and I met in 2015 because of our local summer league for ultimate or ultimate Frisbee. For those of you who don't play, he was the captain of our summer league team. And I feel like we became very fast friends pretty much right away. Six years later, CJ is one of my best friends and someone I really look up to. So I thought his experience in commentating for esports and his interest in tech and just general interest in life right now would be an awesome addition to our team. So I wanted you all to get to know him as soon as possible. And that brought us to episode two of TPT. Yeah, and I'm really happy to be here. Uh, We're going to be talking about cryptos and NFTs. Uh, And I know that sounds like a bunch of jargon, and I'm going to try and break it down to be as simple as possible so that everybody can understand. Uh, And then Matt's going to come in, and he's going to tell us a little bit about the environmental impacts of running a system like this. Uh, So when we're talking about cryptos and NFTs, what we're really talking about is a blockchain database. Now, most of you are probably familiar with databases in some capacity. Uh, Everything runs off of a database. Uh, The podcast... Uh, service that you downloaded this this podcast from is run off of a database. But a, a blockchain database is incredibly unique uh, because of the way it stores information. Uh, the name is very literal. They take the data, they store it in blocks, and they chain it together. And I know what you're thinking right now, uh, CJ, that doesn't explain anything. That's not a definition. You can't just you can't just say that carrot cake is carrots and cake. It's never that simple. There's always more that goes into it. And you're right. It, it is a little bit more complicated. Uh, what you have to understand are that the blocks are filled with data uh, and they get pushed together in chronological order. So instead of information being overlapped, uh, which is how most databases work, uh, think about your own computer as a database. When you have a file and you save it over something, it, it, it overwrites and you have a new file. The blockchain retains all of that information so that it could all be fact-checked at any time. You could always go back and verify a block. Uh, and that's how we arrive at cryptocurrencies. Uh, what do people care most about in this world? Keeping safe? It's their money, right? If you're going to be making an online transaction, you want to guarantee uh, that transaction. It's, it's why PayPal is such a successful business, uh, because it is actually a complicated process verifying and processing all of those transactions, especially on something that's as large as the internet, where these transactions are happening constantly. Uh, so we arrive at cryptos because each of these blocks can be stored as an individual transaction. And that's how you end up with Bitcoin, right? Uh, Bitcoin is the big one. Everybody talks about it. Uh, if any of you bought Bitcoin like five or six years ago and haven't looked at your, your wallet, go ahead and check that right now. I, you, you might be a little happy. CJ, did you buy any Bitcoin way back in the day? I unfortunately missed the Bitcoin craze. And the reason I missed the Bitcoin craze uh, was because uh, for my lazy ass, setting up the Coinbase wallet was too complicated. So I did not buy the Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> I, I had the same thing happen a couple of weeks ago. My friend was trying to get me in on uh, this other new crypto. No, no free ads. So I'm not going to reveal which one. But he sent me his Coinbase link. And all I had to do was click on the link and type in my information. And I was like, oh, I'll get to this later. And then he texted me two weeks ago. And he was like, hey, that thing I told you to buy is up big. How much did you get? I was like, oh, I forgot. <laughs> It's it's rage inducing. The the crypto FOMO is real. And listen, I am not a financial advisor. I am just an ape with diamond hands. Uh, be careful when investing your money in these cryptos. Um, the arguments I'm going to be making throughout the rest of this episode are going to make all of these things sound like uh, stable uh, financial assets. That is not always the case. Um, so invest wisely and never invest any money that you aren't afraid to lose. Yeah, I would, I would say that crypto is probably one of, if not the most volatile thing you can purchase. So yeah, none of this is financial advice, but if you take any of this as financial advice and you do well, please credit the show. <laughs> um, so back to the point, uh, the blocks are 
there, there's two important words that describe the blocks and the reason all of this works. They're decentralized. That is huge. Amazon runs something like over 40% of the internet on their servers. Um, you probably don't realize it, but most of the services you're using use AWS, Amazon Web Services. So when we're accessing the internet, we're accessing central databases. A blockchain database is decentralized. It is stored on a physical piece of hardware. That is why your Coinbase on your phone, if anybody uses that app, has a wallet string and your, your Bitcoins are saved on that device, uh, on that wallet. Decentralizing databases, you can make an argument that it's good because Jeff Bezos has control of, semi-control of 40% of the internet. Um, so that, that is why you see a lot of big internet heads and tech people getting behind the idea of this technology, this decentralized source of data where you really get to own your own information and store it on your own devices so that you actually have that tangible connection to your assets. Yeah, and I think something that's important to highlight about the cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin, is that they're not trying to replace the dollar they're not trying to replace, you know, physical money. What they're trying to do in a way is almost replace the gold standard where governments can print new money whenever they want to. And we used to have that gold standard where however much gold was in the treasury, that's how much a dollar was based upon. Now, governments can just print paper money if they choose to do that. And what happens when you own a certain amount of something and then more of that is created, the amount that you own becomes worth less. With Bitcoin, there's only a limited amount that can ever be created and there can never be more than that number. So the value is based solely on demand. Yeah, that's a really important point, Matt, because we, we could sit here and talk economics all day and uh, talk about supply side Jesus and uh, the, the Fed changing the interest rates and the value of the dollar. Uh, but with a cryptocurrency, you don't really have to worry about that kind of stuff. It is entirely based on the demand for that cryptocurrency, uh, given the current exchange rates. And that is something that allows you to store value. Now, just to tie that back to the warning I said before, if the demand for that cryptocurrency plummets, you are holding on to an asset with no value. Uh, so again, invest wisely. Uh, and now I want to take some time to talk about my favorite use of the blockchain and not favorite for its practicality, but because of how absurd it proves the internet is. Uh, NFTs or non-fungible tokens. So Matt, I, I want to get your gauge on this so far. As somebody who's maybe read a couple things on the internet, uh, what, what are your thoughts on the NFT craze? Okay, so as someone who spends way too much time on Reddit, I think I know a decent amount about NFTs. I would say probably your average person. So non-fungible, from my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, it means that you can trace everything back to that original creation and purchase. So when one of these tokens, which can be a picture can be digital artwork, um, gifts even, that's a token. And when you recreate something and can make copies upon copies of it, that's something that is fungible. But with non-fungible, each one is its own original token that can be traced back to the original creation. That That's basically the idea. Uh, non-fungible means it cannot be changed. There is there is no way uh, to affect this file. It is it is locked into stone. And oh, your mind races when you hear about technology or like like that. You're like, oh, I bet banks are using this. I bet the government is using this to to store secrets and, and make make them very difficult to access. That's not really the case. Um, I'd like to thank uh, Mitchell Clark uh, of The Verge for writing, writing his article about NFTs. Uh, he, he goes on to list some, some things that have sold. So, Matt, let's play, let's play a little game. All right. Let's play a little game. I'm going to tell you the, the uh, 
NFT, the, the non-fungible token, the, the file that was included. And I want you to ballpark what you think somebody paid for this thing. Okay. All right. So I've got, I've got the, a GIF of the Gucci ghost. Uh, it is a, a Snapchat ghost that has the Gucci logo uh, kind of patterned on it. And it's it's moving like you've smoked you smoked a, a little bit of a doobie, just a slight movement. It, it's a gif. <laughs> what do you, what do you think that sold for on the open market? Oh man, okay. So the um, the the practical thinker in me is thinking there's no way that this is worth a lot of money. But I've been on the internet a couple times, so I'm gonna guess somewhere around two hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's that's aggressive. It was thirty six hundred dollars, but okay. That guy (laughs) is now asking for sixteen thousand three hundred. And remember, people, you don't actually own this as like a physical print or anything. (laughs) What you own when you purchase the NFT is the token that says you own it. I am looking at the Gucci Ghost right now. (laughs) The same as this guy who paid thirty six hundred dollars for it. I'm looking at the Gucci Ghost. It's it's okay. It's the internet, right? Like, I, I go on the internet and I look at pictures for free. There's Reddit. There's Twitter. So, I just don't get the point. Here's another one. Here's another one. Uh, a 50-second video of by Grimes. So, it, it's, it's a production by, by Grimes called Death of the Old. It is, it is weird. I'm looking at this thing. There's cherub angels kissing in the sky. We're zooming in on, on Death Valley. It's a very trippy experience. But again, I, I am looking at it. I do not need to own the NFT to look at this thing. So, Matt, what, what do you think? This one, this one was more in your range. This one was more in your initial guess range. Uh, we're going to go like $300,000. That's a good guess. It was sold to the highest bidder for $388,938. And remember, I'm, I'm looking at this thing. <laughs> I'll admit, I'm not much of an art guy. I'm not here to critique uh, the work of Grimes, whatever it is that she feels as though she does. I'm look, it's not, it can't be worth that much because I'm looking at it. So it, it's created this craze where... Insane value is being placed on these things. And in return, to me, it doesn't seem like people are really getting anything back for it, right? It seems like a, a very silly thing to spend your money on and to spend energy on, which is really the problem, Matt. Yeah, and you're kind of banking on resale value here. And, and something with NFTs that uh, was explained to me by a friend is that with NFTs, you are comparing them to something like your baseball trading card collection that you grew up with. And for anyone who ever tried to sell a baseball card, you know that you have to send it to an appraiser who's going to tell you exactly how much it's worth, whether or not it's authentic, and then whether or not it's in mint condition. So you can tell exactly when an NFT was created, who has owned it, all because of the blockchain we talked about earlier. So you don't need to get it appraised by some third party like you would with a physical trading card. So it's a really interesting twist on card collection in a way, except with this, the card can be art. It can be a GIF. It can be the Gucci ghost that CJ talked about earlier. Yeah, it gets, um, it gets ridiculous. And the, the problem with it is it, it seems like an interesting take, but creating nfts basically what they have to do is uh the computer solves a bunch of equations uh to create this token you know that zach galifianakis gif with all the math going on in his mind that 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 is your computer processing an nft it's seeing all the lines and drawing them together to create this completely non-fungible token and the same thing goes into mining for cryptocurrencies uh these people, what they do, they link these computers together to create basically super miners. I actually have a friend uh, who has a bit of a mining operation, and he's got about 10 cards linked up. And that generates very little cryptocurrency, like 10 cards. Some of these farms, 
they'll get as high as three, 400 cards linked together running this mining operation. The, those rooms are so hot, they need to be blast AC'd. Uh, it's like, it, it, some, some thing I read a while ago is that right at the beginning of the NFT craze, the first big ones that sold, you were able to run like a small town on the power of like the first four or five NFTs that were made. And then the craze happened. Uh, so it, it's using a lot. And the carbon footprint is starting to get absolutely out of control. And it doesn't seem like it is a sustainable system at this point. Uh, so big tech heads, the Elon Musks of the world, uh, I don't know what Jeff Bezos does because that man never speaks. Uh, they are trying to figure out ways to reduce power consumption, consumption so that these blockchain databases can have a practical use for things like banks, for things like the government, to be used en masse so that we can leverage the blockchain, and that's probably something you've heard in the news like or in your meetings from a CEO who doesn't know what they're talking about, uh, into something that's a practical tool that our society can sustain. Uh, Matt, I, I think you are more of an expert on this. Uh, all this mining, all, all of these computers just running constantly, what's attuned to the earth, man? So yeah, first I want to kind of break it down and put this into a way that some people who aren't as tech savvy can understand. If you're running your computer or a laptop and you open up certain programs, your computer sometimes works harder than when it's running other programs. And when it's working harder, it's going to sound louder. Pretty much anytime it sounds louder, it's using more energy for operating and for cooling to make sure that it can still function. So like CJ said, with mining Bitcoin or creating NFTs, you're going to have rooms full of computers that all need to get cooled. And all of that needs energy to run the computer energies that need to keep the rooms cool. That way the computers don't overheat. And all of this is just accounting for a ridiculous carbon footprint that Ben Korn of brightly.eco recently talked about in an article in May, where he said that the daily carbon footprint of Bitcoin is the equivalent of watching 57,000 hours of YouTube videos. Its daily electricity usage is about the same as the amount of power an average home in the United States uses over 25 days. So we're talking about energy consumption on an astronomical level. The journal Nature Climate Change, which longtime listeners of TPT might remember from our very first episode all the way back in six days ago, found in 2018 that Bitcoin emissions alone could raise the Earth's temperature by two degrees. Anyone who's kept up with the Paris Climate Accord and just general environmental policy could probably remember two degrees being important. Two degrees is the goal that a lot of countries were saying, we can't let the earth get two degrees warmer. So Bitcoin emissions alone could do that if the rate of consumption increases. Now, Bitcoin's relationship with the environment was recently in the spotlight after Tesla said it no longer plans to accept Bitcoin as a form of payment. Elon Musk tweeted, we're concerned about rapidly increasing use of fossil fuels for Bitcoin mining and transactions, especially after coal, which has the worst emissions of any fuel. The Tesla decision is an interesting one because they recently invested $1.5 billion in Bitcoin in February of this year. However, Elon Musk later tweeted that Tesla would not be selling any Bitcoin as it intends to use it, quote, as soon as mining transitions to more sustainable energy. So something you're probably gathering now is that all of that tech and maybe it's sometimes confusing computer talk that CJ and I were bringing up before. It has a really big impact on the planet. And that's why we wanted to talk about it today, because people who are big into investment and big into keeping up with what's going on on the internet and in the markets probably has heard of Bitcoin or Dogecoin or Ethereum or any of those other, you know, cryptocurrencies that are out there. And I feel like it's not really brought up the environmental impact of these. So Bank of America estimated in March of this year that mining Bitcoin had the same environmental impact as the annual emissions of 1.8 million cars. Tesla 
is obviously a company that focuses on electric vehicles. And Tesla also operates solar roofs and solar panels for roofs. So they also focus on solar energy. And for that reason, it really makes sense that Tesla would back out of accepting Bitcoin now that the environmental impacts are being highlighted. Bank of America further went on to state that the Bitcoin mining network emits as much CO2 as the entire country of Greece. So again, we're really not talking about CJ's friend who has a couple graphics cards and is mining for the smallest amount of Bitcoin. We're talking about the big supercomputer companies even that will mine Bitcoin and mine other forms of cryptocurrencies. That way they can you know, make as much profit as possible, but also use a ton of energy. I'd like to imagine that Alexander the Great is just in his grave wondering how the heck a fake currency is creating more pollution than, than his country. <laughs> you can't pick up a Bitcoin. You can't pick up a Dogecoin. Yeah, he's having issues with that one. <laughs> so um, another interesting statistic that uh, the University of Cambridge found is that Bitcoin currently accounts for 0.7% of the world's electricity consumption. They found that its consumption each year is more than Malaysia and Sweden. Uh, Cambridge further estimated that the amount of electricity consumed by Bitcoin networks in one year could power all of the tea kettles used to boil water in the United Kingdom for 33 years. Well, at least Alexander could rest easy knowing he would have beaten the Vikings and some, some British uh, tea mongers. So he's got that going for him, which is nice. <laughs> Definitely. So I guess that's one less thing he would have to worry about. However, something else we need to worry about when it comes to Bitcoin is who is mining the most for Bitcoin. So the United States accounts for a little over 7% of Bitcoin consumption, which is the second most in the world. CJ, do you have any idea who the number one consumer of Bitcoin energy is? Uh, I've, I've know the answer. Uh, it should be obvious to everybody. Big country, not a lot of regards for international rules and regulations. It's got to be China. Yeah, uh, China is number one. And the difference between the United States consumption and China is astronomical. So as we mentioned, the U.S. is the number two consumer in the world at 7%. China's number one with 65% of the world's energy consumption for Bitcoin mining, which is an even bigger issue when you break down where China is getting the energy to mine Bitcoin from. Most Chinese power plants still rely on coal. In fact, China accounted for over 50% of the world's coal-generated power in 2020. So here we have an energy-intensive process, mining for Bitcoin, relying on the form of energy that produces the most CO2 of any fuel source in coal. I should say it's worth noting that Bitcoin requires much more energy use than other forms of cryptocurrency, and that Bitcoin is not inherently bad for the environment. NASDAQ published an article a few weeks ago titled, Why Bitcoin May Actually Speed Up the Transition to Renewable Energy. The article talks about how last month, a publicly traded crypto miner called Argo announced the Crypto Climate Accord, or CAA. If that sounds familiar, you might be thinking of the Paris Climate Accord. And the CAA promotes decarbonization across the Bitcoin and crypto mining industry. The goal of the CAA is to reach net zero emissions from electricity consumption by 2030 and to reach net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2040. Riot Blockchain, which is another publicly traded crypto uh, and Bitcoin mining company, is one of the largest Bitcoin mining companies in the U.S. They operate out of Messina, New York, and 88% of its electricity is generated from zero emission sources. So I know it's really easy to harp on the energy consumption as a whole, but it is kind of important to point out that not all Bitcoin mining is coming from the same forms of energy that is creating these huge carbon footprints. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think it it goes to show you, um, the story goes the same as most other arguments for clean energy. We obviously can do it. It just takes more effort, smarter people, and it costs more. So with 
the free market capitalistic nature of crypto, it's going to be very difficult for these companies to make that transition to something that is effectively more costly. Uh, so I really hope that Riot does well with, with their business plan. Uh, it is arguably one of the uh, safer crypto companies to invest in because of their zero emission sources. Uh, for example, if the U.S. government were to step in and say cryptocurrency needs to be mined at 50% zero emission, otherwise you know, you can't get a license to do it, you won't have a company, you can't be publicly traded, the value of something like Riot Blockchain is going to go up. So I, I hope that investors see the value in holding those, those kinds of stocks, in, in finding those kinds of cryptos, and I really hope that other crypto-based companies can can follow suit because that's really the only way we're going to wind up with something sustainable. Yeah. And in finding something like that, it's also important to consider that Bitcoin miners are not some homogenous group that all think the same way. And if you're going to generalize, people who are investing in Bitcoin and in cryptocurrencies probably have a goal of making more money. I would argue that most of them have that as the primary goal instead of looking for something that is environmentally friendly that also makes them money. So in this case, it really helps if the cost of electricity becomes lower because all of that energy consumption that costs money won't be factored into the overall profits you're making off an investment in Bitcoin, Dogecoin, or any of the other cryptos. And lowering the cost of electricity is something that renewables can provide. So it's kind of a win-win of cleaner and cheaper electricity increasing the profits of whoever invests in these cryptocurrencies. Again, not financial advice. All of this is theoretical. <laughs> good save, but sign me up. Uh, cheaper power sounds like a good plan to me. I really hope that we start finding new and unique ways. And I don't know, I've got the spirit about me that says this post-COVID world is, is going to be mindful and innovative uh and that a lot of these really really smart people are going to hit the ground running when they could get more hands-on with their research so uh if anybody ever sees a an up-and-coming uh company that's working with renewables clean energy uh clean cars clean crypto uh sh shoot us an email at the podcast. We'd love to hear about it. We'd love to feature some of those companies to help uh, get some energy behind some of those ideas uh, because it's going to take a movement to correct the course that we've set for this earth. All right, CJ, thank you so much for all of that. I'm sure you provided a really interesting perspective for a lot of our listeners who, like me, may have had a grip on Bitcoin but don't really know the ins and outs. And, you know, hopefully we also were able to provide some information to people who had no idea what we were talking about at the start. So really appreciate your time. And I can't wait to have you on next time. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. All right. So I think that's a great place to end that segment and wrap up this week's episode of The Planet Today. Until next Friday, you can keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at planettodaypod or email us at planettodaypod at gmail.com. If you have questions you want answered, send them in. If you see a story you want us to cover, send it. If you have a guest you'd like for us to have on, let us know and we can try our best, but no promises because we are a small show. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Even if you listen on another service, the reviews there are going to help because their algorithm promotes shows that are getting a ton of reviews, getting a ton of ratings, all in a quick period of time. So help us out. Give us that review. If you don't feel like this show is worth five stars, please let us know once again by giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leaving a suggestion as to how to make the show better for your review. The Planet Today is written and hosted by me, Matt Norton. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Norton. We're produced by the incredibly talented Nick Janusa, who also does the music for every show. Nick, where can our listeners hear more from you? So I am on Instagram at MooseyFTheKid, and then I am also on SoundCloud, that's where my music is, at soundcloud.com slash BudlinCape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. And don't forget to uh, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and then do it again, <laughs> and just make sure you're subscribed. Yeah, get those numbers up. We were joined today by the often smart and always hilarious CJ Bonifati. CJ, where can people keep up with you? 
not big on the social media, but Twitter is where I lurk. So if I got something wrong, again, at Honorable Cal, K-A-L-L. And sometimes I've been known to stream on Twitch, uh, at the Honorable Cal over there. Um, but peace and love to everybody. I had a lot of fun being on the podcast, and I can't wait to come back. Awesome. And CJ, before we let you go, do you have any personal news you'd like to share on the pod? I do. I do. Uh, this weekend, I asked the love of my life, Hope Galvin, to marry me. And uh, she said yes, emphatically which was very exciting. Uh, So I am now off the market, ladies, officially. I'm sorry. Uh, If you are feeling depressed, seek professional help. Uh, And I I can't wait. Uh, This whole post-COVID world is looking pretty good to me. Uh, So excited for hot boy summer and excited (laughs) to see what married life brings me. Well, CJ, I know everyone here on the Planet Today team is extremely happy for you. I'm sure the Sea Hive is out there absolutely in shambles that you are off the market, but hey, Seahive, you could still simp for him even though he is a taken man. (laughs) Thank you, everyone. Can't wait to come back. Our logo was made by Kaylee Vietz, and next week we will have our very first interview with my good friend Giselle Herrera. I think it's a great one, and I can't wait for you all to hear it. And special shout out to my friends David Hampson and Caitlin Ferguson, who are getting married tomorrow by the time this episode comes out. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here next Friday. Peace.